Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Thanks for making us a part of your Aloha Friday. It is June 17th, 2022. I'm Josh Pacheco. Good morning. It is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. All of our guests, when they do appear, they do so uh, courtesy of our hotline. Jonathan Von Tobel is going to join us a little bit later on in the program. We'll look back at uh, game six and the final game, what it turns out to be in the NBA Finals, the Golden State Warriors winning yesterday. And uh, how do we put it in the proper perspective? That's uh, that's our job to do. Uh, but I'm curious, after watching that series, and probably not the, uh, not the series I think a lot of people expected, clearly, because uh, ESPN had uh, Golden State as a 0.1% chance of making the finals at the beginning of the season. So clearly not the finals a lot of people are expecting. Uh, but clearly also not the kind of teams on on both sides, well, I think more so on the Celtics side, that you thought you would see representing in an NBA Finals. I'll explain that coming up uh, in just a little while. So Jonathan Von Tobel is going to join us a little bit later on in the show. Uh, your texts, uh, we'll take them via our Zephyr Insurance text line at uh, 808-296-1420. Uh, you can call us at 808-296-1420, and you can send us your tweets. We are at Bobby Curran Show, and you can get to me directly at Josh on the radio. Time for the latest headlines as we lead off with current events. The sports stories you need to know. Here's your current events. Not to be the guy that rains on anything that is good, but last night's NBA Finals game was not very good uh yeah it featured a late boston celtics run they got it within eight after being down double digits and oh uh let's remember they were up 12 to 2 in the first couple of minutes of the game and then gave up a 30 to 10 run did the boston celtics to lose the lead and ultimately lose it for good but it was not a very good championship game last night what or what would ultimately be a championship game but we do now have really the talk of the dynasty which you can bring back in because the golden state warriors have found their way to the nba finals more often than not and when they've been there they've won it uh more often than not another brilliant performance from stephen curry 34 points 12 of 21 shooting and a four of four from the free throw line in route to his first finals mvp and uh, I'll say Steve Kerr also did a fine job in kind of shortening things up with his bench. And he got production from uh, from a lot of guys over the course of that game six. We'll talk more about that finals game six coming up in just a little bit right here on ESPN Honolulu. Including from the Celtics perspective, uh, you'll hear what Ime Udoka said about the experience 
uh, that his team had or didn't have in this finals and how it had an effect. But again, the Warriors win another title. Current events. The Men's College World Series gets underway today. Uh, in fact, the first game is Oklahoma and Texas A&M, and that's coming up at 740. You can hear it on our sister station, CBS 1500. Uh, there's Harrison on the Texas A&M team, uh, one of the sons of our guy, Kenny Harrison. Uh, so we'll be paying attention to him. But the uh, next week and a half, lots of college baseball in Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, we'll see how Texas A&M does. Not only uh, one of the Harrison sons on that team, but uh, former University of Hawaii shortstop Cole Kaler plays for uh, Texas A&M and uh, is expected to start in uh, game one of the Men's College World Series. Current events. And finally, we get ready for Major League Baseball and uh, one of the intriguing games on the schedule. Can anybody slow down the New York Yankees? Well, the Yankees are in Toronto to take on the Blue Jays. That also on our sister station, CBS 1500 today. Those are the top two teams in the American League East. But also uh, an interesting game on the schedule takes you to Boston with the Red Sox hosting the St. Louis Cardinals. There were some Cardinals players at the NBA Finals game last night, including Albert Pujols, who got to see a championship celebrated uh, by Golden State. Uh, the Red Sox, four games above 500 and fourth. Yeah, four games above 500 and fourth in the American League East. That's how good the Yankees have been. And that's how tough uh, that division is. But some interesting games in Major League Baseball uh, on the schedule tonight. That is your current events. It is the Bobby Curran Show here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll finish up on the whole kind of gnarly, weird game six and frankly just kind of a, a weird series that this one was between uh, the Celtics and the Warriors. I don't, I don't know that this is one that you'll, you'll say this is an all-time great NBA Finals series. Um, but it still had some great storylines. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, you talk about, and I, and I see it mentioned already on ESPN.com, the quote-unquote return of the Warriors dynasty, close quote, which I don't know if, if a dynasty can return in a year after being off of a couple. I, I'm, I'm not sure that that is the definition of a dynasty, and if you know me well enough, I'm not usually huge on big superlative words. So even when I see, uh, I, I see the word dynasty used, I'm just kind of like, uh, can we make sure? Can we make sure we get the definition right on dynasty? Are we using this correctly? Um, you know, this is used a lot in the National Football League with the. Uh, New England Patriots and their dynasty when Tom Brady played there. And in, in that particular instance, yeah, dynasty was a a really good word to use. But more often than not, I think we use the word and we kind of, I think we blow up the term dynasty. Um, the Warriors had one. And then the injury to Clay Thompson that shelved him for a couple of years set them back just a little bit. And so when you take a couple of years off and you're honestly uh, much closer to the bottom than you are to the top, I think that kind of eliminates the the dynasty talk. But what I also think it does is it kind of deflates the importance of the moment. 
and how how big that win was for Golden State to win that series, and maybe I I, I don't I don't like I don't like the word dynasty, but maybe the idea that you could potentially start one with what this team has and potentially what this team can continue to grow in the next couple of years as you've watched uh, the Wiggins and the Porters and, and the Gary Payton the seconds, and you've watched all of those players kind of come together uh, in different ways in every game. And, and Jordan Poole, I don't want to forget him, and, and you've, you've watched them come together in all sorts of different ways to create this championship run that ultimately the Golden State Warriors would uh, w- would put on. In, the thing about Game 6, and I'll, I'll table the whole, this was not a great game conversation, because at the end of the day it doesn't really matter. I'll, I'll table it for a moment. But Steph Curry is going to get all the highlights, because he was the Finals MVP, which is another conversation that I thought was just sorely overblown uh, right up until the point that he won finals MVP. But you also look at what was needed to get there, having to survive a, a Boston Celtics run late in the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter when they, when they got within eight. But some of the guys that we have, you know, just, just kind of, ripped on a little bit and and put down quite a bit. Some of those same individuals were huge in game six. Draymond Green, who I loved in the uh, the, the post-game uh, interview with Lisa Salters on ABC, Draymond Green basically saying when he, when he was asked, what did you learn about yourself in, uh, in the struggles of his series? This was not a good series for, for Draymond Green. And he said, I didn't learn a thing. <laughs> I didn't learn a thing. Basically knew his role of the team. Talked about how he had to, to fight and scrap and claw for every opportunity. And uh, to be on a team like this and have a role on that Golden State team. Uh, that was a, a brilliant quote. And it was a totally Draymond quote as well. I didn't learn a thing. And when you think about it from from last night, he had the second best plus minus uh, right behind Gary Payton the second. He had quite a few defensive uh, defensive gems. He had a double double. He knocked out a couple of threes, which uh, which he was subtly made fun of on the broadcast for getting some offense. And he did almost everything. I mean, there were points in time where he did force the issue a little bit and he did have five turnovers but put that aside for a second Draymond Green was the X factor that he has always been uh, for that team it's just in in this instance it showed up big when his minutes and and his production had gone down in in the previous several games I mean he played 42 minutes we had been seeing him more in the in the 30s recently, but his impact, Steve Kerr adjusted what he did, saw that Draymond Green was uh, a major impact in that game and, and gave him more minutes and didn't really sit him down as much. And, and that was a huge adjustment uh, that Steve Kerr had to make. So Draymond Green, super impactful. Uh, 
you know, Andrew Wiggins, I think of in, in that third and fourth quarter when you started to see Al Horford making shots and, you know, other Celtics players starting to hit threes and starting to bring that comeback into play. And it seemed like every other time you see the Celtics make a three and there's Wiggins who knocked down four of them. He had a couple of threes that were answer back threes after um, you know after Boston would knock down a couple. They had some really good rally stoppers from outside the arc, and Wiggins was one of those guys. The last two games for for Andrew Wiggins will be games that he absolutely remembers uh, for the rest of his life because uh, those were the games that told you all that money that he's making uh, when they got him from Minnesota. He is worth all of it and and will be worth all of it because his impact and, and his kind of updated role uh, in this league and as a member of that Golden State team, it's only going to grow, uh, but it's a reminder of, of how good he can be on even a stacked team. I mean, he was, he was huge. And then, of course, there's Steph uh, and and – We'll talk about Steph a little bit more. We'll also talk about a little bit more. In fact, we'll do it when we come back. We'll talk about the Boston Celtics because the Celtics lose the title. I, I I know what was said by Richard Jefferson yesterday. We played that bite yesterday when he said not winning in Boston shows that this team hasn't come as far as maybe uh, you would have thought they have in the time frame that, that they've been given to get there. Of course, remember, you got a rookie head coach. This is also kind of a, a flawed roster, and I think we have to, to remember that and, and put that in the proper perspective. We'll, we'll do that coming up in just a little while. But first, uh, we've got some fun for all the, uh, the, the youth baseball and softball players. It's the Hawaii Rainbow Warrior Youth Skills Camp going on now. Pick from one of eight four-day camps running through August 4th, open to boys and girls entering kindergarten, through eighth grade register by going to hawaiiathletics.com and clicking on the camps button when we come back we'll look at the other side we'll look at the boston celtics and how it was that the celtics just could not keep up and what does it take for them to get back here next year that's after this u.s open update on espn honolulu this is the bobby curran show on espn honolulu and the sideline hawaii Coming up in just about 60 seconds, Boston Celtics rookie head coach Ime Udoka on whether inexperience played a factor for the Boston Celtics in the NBA Finals, losing the NBA Finals in six games to the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Tamp Hayworth and I were just joking during the break. If we were a, <laughs> we were another outlet. What would be the uh, what would be the topic that would come up if we had Stephen A. Smith as one of the hosts of this show? Tanner, uh, national producer. What is national producer putting together today? What does this mean for Kevin Durant's legacy? How does this affect How does this affect LeBron James and the Lakers next year? Will Anthony Davis work out now that he's seen the finals? <laughs> yeah, all. Uh... All things we will not get into on this show. 
Although the closest thing to it is that ESPN put out its uh, way too early rankings. Well, at least for me, well, I guess for them too. They're way too early NBA power rankings. Uh, they have the Lakers outside of the top 15 in their way too early NBA power rankings. This is the closest thing to, well, what does this mean for LeBron? Uh, even though really it doesn't mean anything for LeBron. Uh, the Lakers outside the top 15 sitting at 17 in ESPN's way too early uh, power rankings. And as Dave McMenamin puts it, and I quote, uh, there's plenty of work to do with as many as seven roster spots needing to be filled. And of course, the Russell Westbrook conundrum, hiring Darvin Ham as the uh, new head coach is a good first step at least. Uh, I look at all those teams that are above the Lakers in that. Pelicans, boy, have they bounced back after the Davis trade. And, uh, of course, with the injury to Zion Williamson, think about that too. The the Raptors, the Bulls have bounced back quickly in a couple of years. The T-Wolves, uh, that's got to be pretty depressing if you're a Lakers fan. You see yourself at 17, you see some of those franchises in the way too early rankings sitting above you which tells you the way people look at that franchise currently, that is not a good sign whatsoever. Uh, the Celtics are at number two in the way too early power rankings put together by ESPN.com. And I think part of why they might be there, well, they've got a year under their belt in which they've you know, crossed that hump of getting past the Eastern Conference Finals to the NBA Finals. They now have Finals experience. They know what that finals heartbreak looks like. And the head coach, Ime Udoka, was asked about that team's uh, inexperience or experience, however you want to look at it, uh, going through that final series. Yeah, and no, I don't really look at the experience or our lack of being in the finals as uh, a huge factor. And, and it's obviously beneficial for them, but more so our experience as a group together and connectivity. You can see the difference between the team who's been there that long and, and some of our new guys and especially some core guys that have, you know, got added midseason with, um, you know, a guy like Daniel that's not playing as much or Derek. But uh, the experience of being in the finals, I don't think that moment was too big. Obviously, we were 2-2 at the point and had a chance to do something special. But, um, you know, I think we were battle tested throughout the playoffs in some really hard series. And so uh, the finals was another step in that direction, but I think more so experience as a team as opposed to experience of the finals in general was a was a factor yeah I would I would tend to agree with that uh from Ime Udoka their experience really I, I think I said this last week um sitting in on this show that the Boston Celtics what helped them get to a two games to one lead in this finals and what's helped them I'm mean, just get to the finals to begin with is that this team has practically played playoff basketball since January um, and, and fighting their way from really outside of a playoff spot to uh, you know, getting into the playoffs, not just and, and not just getting into the playoffs, but getting in uh, pretty soundly in what was a, a strong second half of the season. And but but it doesn't take away, you know, regardless of where they finished in the Eastern Conference standings, I think it was at number two in the Eastern Conference. It, it doesn't take away the fact that they had to make a massive, massive turn 
in in the back half of the year. And when you've played postseason basketball while others are just kind of playing through the regular season, when you're playing kind of a version of elimination basketball for as long as they were, uh, you gain experience really quickly, even if it's not playing in the finals, even if it's not, um, you know, playing an actual postseason game. Because you're learning what it's like that just, you know, a, a bit of failure here, a bit of failure there, and your, your journey is very different. I think Ime Odoka deserves a ton of credit in his first year. I mean, he's wor- he's he's coached under guys like uh, like Greg Popovich in San Antonio. Uh, he has seen what good basketball teams are like. He has seen what good coaching is. He has also seen it at times, you know, when to be calm and when not. And uh, and I, and I look at what he did. In, in putting this team and, and, and making sure this team was able to survive through that gauntlet, and, and it, was, it was pretty darn incredible. Uh, I mean, it's, that's Coach of the Year material, whether you know you want to give him that Coach of the Year honor or not. That's Coach of the Year material. But ultimately, you know, experience, I, I think this team played not as an inexperienced team. I think this team played as a flawed team. And the reason I say flawed is because this team is is maybe a piece, maybe two pieces away, I think, from being right back here again. Um, which is I mean, that Eastern Conference is is tougher than it's ever been. And then you, you start adding teams like Chicago into the mix if they can stay there consistently. You know where Miami's going to be. You, you know where Milwaukee's going to be as long as, uh, as Middleton's healthy. You know. You know some of the players, and, and you know Boston's going to be right there in that mix too. You expect Toronto in there. I, I I expect the top six of the East to be really, really good, and I know I'm leaving a few teams out. But two pieces that are missing, um, I think I think one, this team is missing a point guard. And it, it never really clicked to me as I was watching this team because I think we, we got so caught up in some of the pieces that they do have that – do benefit them, you know, a great young one-two punch in, uh, in, in Tatum and Brown that are only going to get better, and, and I think this experience, especially for Tatum, I think is going to solidify him. I, I was watching him on several possessions uh, last night, I think, just try to do too much. You know, there was one specifically, there was that uh, Euro step to the basket, I want to say it might have been third quarter or fourth quarter, where... He really wanted to make a play. He was going one on two, and he had no play, and still tried to force the issue and, and and do a bit much. These are two stars in Brown and Tatum, but they're two stars that don't have to take over a game individually, and in fact are probably best not taking over a game individually because I don't think that's where their strength lies individually. Um, that team's strength relies a lot on ball movement. It relies a lot on, uh, you know, I, I think having a guy like Horford really helped to you know, diversify what they do. Uh, but it is it is more than just, hey, you know, uh, outside shooting. And, you know, they can take it to the rim. I, I think that's that's one of their other big strengths is 
they don't have to rely just on outside shooting. But I think they, they can drive and kick you know, better than anybody. And at times, especially with Tatum, I, I felt like he got away from that. What would really help this group is a true point guard to take a little bit of the pressure off of Tatum and Brown. Um, to make Marcus Smart, who offensively can do good things, but to, to make Marcus Smart more of a guy who can focus on his defensive presence and his defensive energy, you know, things that are, are real strengths of his. And to cut down on the turnovers. And, you know, a, a lot of the turnovers, I, I, I know we should give some of the credit to Golden State's defense, uh, but a lot of the turnovers, I really do believe, are, are also based on the fact that you've got five guys who can, you know, on the floor can can do things with the ball in their hands, but they're not true facilitators. Um, you know, they're they're not true guys who can who can run an offense. And when you get to a point where you're playing too fast, you need someone who's going to slow you down. Uh, that's what a great point guard does. They slow down the pace of a game. They take a little pressure off, and, and, and they kind of lead. This team didn't have that. And I think if you can find that individual, whoever it is, it, it doesn't have to be someone you spend you know, an important amount of money on, but if you find someone who's a, just a, a good veteran that can take some of that pressure off. I mean, uh, heck, if you could get Rajon Rondo back in Boston, I, I probably won't happen. But someone like him, you had a Rondo back in Boston – to facilitate that offense, you know, Rondo doesn't need to shoot the basketball, but he can make sure he runs an offense that allows everybody else to on a, in a more comfortable clip. I think their offense would be exponentially better. And then I think the other piece that this Boston team needs, uh, Ime Udoka played a lot of guys. He has. Um, but I think that also tells me that he doesn't have true depth on his bench that I think he can trust. And if, if you can find, you know, a seventh and eighth man off the bench that can give you, you know, a, a good punch scoring, you know, and, and, and create some reliability there, I think they'd be better off. Boston's not, to, to go back to Richard Jefferson's quote yesterday, uh, when he said if they don't win in Boston, it shows how far away they are, how much farther away they are than what maybe we thought as as a championship team. Uh, make no mistake, this team is championship caliber, um, at least to get there. It's hard to win it when you run into a team as good as Golden State is and as good as they have done it for so long. Um, but I think, you know, and this is going to be on Brad Stevens, Um uh, you know his work in the front office. This is why they kept him in that in in that organization. As a coach, didn't really work out toward the end, but why they saw his value still as someone who could put together a roster. This is not a great roster. This is not a great team, um, but they did great things. Now they need to really put in the work to shape this team to the way that it can get back there next year and, and can overcome and win a title. And I think if uh, if they can do that, I think Boston could be in really good shape for years to come. Maybe not the kind of dynasty-like run that we have seen from 
uh, a Golden State Warriors team in the past and what they're trying to do again and trying to, to build that back. Uh, but maybe something that can cons uh, can sustain three to four years in a very tough Eastern Conference. Uh, you can share your thoughts on the NBA Finals now that it has come to an end. You can text the Zephyr Insurance text line at 808-296-1420. You can call us there. You can tweet us at Bobby Curran Show and at Josh on the radio. We check on traffic right now. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. You're listening to the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Text or call the show at 296-1420. touch with us on the Zephyr Insurance text line at 808-296-1420. Texter from the uh, 373. Yeah, anyone see Marcus Smart yesterday? Uh, no impact on the game. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, but I think more often than not, Marcus Smart has had some kind of an impact on the game. Uh, last night it was almost like uh, I, I hate I hate to do this because I, I I think of guys who defensively uh, are true impact players, but I I'd like to say that Marcus Smart was uh, more of a Draymond Green type from earlier in this series yesterday. You know I I I thought Al Horford was a bit more impactful in this game. I I saw Horford as a little more similar to. To game, you know, game one, he was knocking down a lot of shots. Some of them were like heat check shots too, coming from uh, from Al Horford. Something I I didn't really expect to see. Uh, but you're right, Marcus Smart was not as impactful. But I, that also goes back to what I said just a little while ago on that team. Marcus Smart is asked to do a little bit more than what he needs to do. Again, this is where. You've got a point guard on the floor, a true point guard on the floor. Marcus Smart can be more of a, a defensive presence and be less of someone that you rely upon for scoring. You know, the one thing I do like about him offensively is I, I like his fearlessness to the rim. He's, you know, he's not a, a reliant three-point shooter. Uh, he, he does like to get into the paint. He'll take a 10-footer. Um, you know, he'll, he'll uh, rise up on someone, you know, and put up a... You know, a one-handed hook from like seven feet away. You know, he'll do a lot of those things that are a little old school, uh, because now it's like three-pointer or dunk in the NBA. But the other thing I, you know, and I, I failed to mention this from earlier, that I think of last night. Uh, I, you know, Boston making that comeback late shouldn't erase the fact that Boston's energy was just really poor. Um, right after that 30 to 10 run or in the midst of that 30 to 10 run I there was a point in time in the third quarter I walked away from the TV because I had pretty much thought at that point uh game was over I had no belief that the Celtics would come back and I didn't believe the Celtics even thought it would that, that they would come back because the the energy and and I thought even 
the effort at times I could have questioned. I mean, I, I still think of mismatches that Boston was, was able to get, like an Al Horford and a Steph Curry, and just this timidness and not wanting to take advantage of some of those things. And I don't, I don't know what was said to kind of get them back on track where they started playing again like a team that um, believed it should be there and that it belonged. But there was a good stretch of about at least a quarter and a half where they played probably some of their worst basketball of the series. Not not about turnovers, just about uh, effort on the offensive end, timidness on the offensive end, and, and in general just looked uh, a, a little slow. So, yeah, Marcus Smart didn't have as much of an impact as the defensive player of the year uh, maybe would or should in a game in which you need those kinds of impacts. But... I don't. I won't look at just him. Uh, I think in the grand scheme of things, I I, I think you got to look a little bit deeper, and uh, and see that that team as a whole, uh, that was that was not a great effort uh, by the Celtics uh, last night, and that's one of the reasons that you, you can't do that uh, uh, against a Golden State Warriors team and think that you're going to win a game. That's that's not possible. Coming up, uh, we'll get an update from the U.S. Open, and we've been watching really just this massive, massive failure from guys like Phil Mickelson, uh, but also what they're dealing with on the course. I was just seeing a little while ago that Phil Mickelson was being heckled on the course. Uh, one female fan out there said, uh, you know, basically criticized him for taking blood money when uh, he was at one of the holes and uh, one cop said, you know, who's kind of following one of those groups said, you know, normally it's, 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 uh, it's tough, but this is some of the worst I've seen. This is the toughest I've seen when it comes to, you know, crowd control, I guess, at, uh, at the third major of the year. And, oh, Phil Mickelson, by the way, has just been awful. I think he's at 10 over par. He's got back-to-back birdies, but he was at 1.12 over par. In the hundreds, it's pretty bad. Uh, right now, though, a six-way tie for the lead. Uh, we'll get an update from John Stashauer at the U.S. Open. That comes right now on ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by PVT Land Company, supporting academics, athletics, and the community on the Waianae Coast. Buy or sell coming up in just a little bit. It is the Bobby Curran Show here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. We'll get another U.S. Open update in about 30 minutes where uh, Phil Mickelson's bad. He's really, really bad. Uh, but it almost looks like he doesn't care. <laughs> I have been been watching a little bit in front of me right now. And I guess when you take all that money those nine figures and uh when you go on another tour and you don't have to win to get all that money that you could just kind of like golf for fun um you know just sometimes you do actually have to make a cut now but you can golf for fun and really not have a care in the world because uh missing cuts here well you still have the payday elsewhere i mean 
he's knocked down a couple in, in the last couple of holes, and it's like uh, he's just incredibly happy. But the score is just not normal for him. At a, I think at the last post I saw it uh, at at ten over par. Uh, but we've seen, you know, that's been one of the questions at this U.S. Open, the live golfers, and mostly we've seen cheers, and mostly people have, you know, been normal. There's been a few people who've kind of yelled through. Somebody actually asked uh, Phil Mickelson about a betting line yesterday uh, before uh, before one of his shots, which was uh, classic because, you know, uh, that's been one of the storylines about Phil Mickelson. Buy yourselves coming up next. This is the Bobby Curran Show. I'm Josh Pacheco. You're listening to ESPN Honolulu. No. Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. We're getting you into your weekend right here on the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. I'm Josh Pacheco. Good morning. All of our guests, including Jonathan Von Tobel, uh, NBA analyst for VSIN. He joins us uh, a little bit later on, courtesy of our hotline. Uh, we've got another U.S. Open update in about 15 minutes. And if you're uh, just waking up or you've uh, been kind of running late, got into the car, haven't checked on what's going on, these are the things that are happening right now. Speaking of the U.S. Open, uh, six way tie for first place at three under par, including Rory McElroy and Scotty Scheffler. Uh, that is underway. And as we said, we'll have updates. As uh, as we get through the rest of the morning, uh, also the uh, look back at the NBA Finals, where Golden State won it in six last night, and uh, Patrick Gasman, he's uh, moving on to the French League in men's volleyball for the upcoming pro season. Congratulations to the former University of Hawaii All-American in men's volleyball. Those are your headlines. Let's get to uh, buy or sell. The Bobby Curran Show presents Buy or Sell. I caution you, by the way, on Buy or Sell. Uh, Tanner Hayworth is a Boston Celtics fan. Uh, yesterday, Tanner, uh, as we were just kind of talking about during the break, yesterday was not easy for you. I was, I the best way you can put it, I was unapproachable after the game. Are you approachable now? I am very much approachable now. <laughs> I slept on it. It was a rough loss, but hey, it was a great win for the Warriors and their, I'm going to use your favorite word here, their dynasty. It was oh, cool. stop it. Just stop it. All right, buy or sell. Let's go. As we look on now, we go to the offseason for the NBA after the Warriors take the NBA title in their six, uh, final, what was it called? six final appearance in the last eight. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Because you had those two years where they were not very good. True. And as we look on... We look towards now the best part about the offseason, predictions. As you look to the Boston Celtics, who are in a very tough conference, we did mention we have the Milwaukee Bucks, the Miami Heat, the 76ers. Next year, they'll have to even probably face a healthy Cleveland Cavaliers squad and a Bulls squad. And, oh, yeah, the Brooklyn Kevin Durants. Buy or sell. The East will be more competitive with each other than the West in 2023. Uh, I'll buy that. I think there's some uncertainty in the Western Conference. So uh, I think the Western Conference will be competitive. I, I do believe that. Uh, but we've seen such a big turnaround when you've, when you've had the shift with, with Kevin Durant moving to the Eastern Conference and James Harden moving to the Eastern Conference recently. 
that yeah, and 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 teams that have just built um, and and made smaller moves would have done them the right way. You know, the Bulls we talked about earlier, and of course the Bucks still with their big two. That um, yeah, I think I think the Eastern Conference will actually be more competitive. Uh, I can see six teams that really can compete to get to at least an Eastern Conference Finals. I don't know that I can say six in the West, although the West will be tough as well. But yeah, the Eastern Conference, for the first time in a long time, the Eastern Conference is going to be the better conference to watch in the NBA. Buy, 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 buy. or sell. Sell, sell, sell. And looking at one of those teams in the East, it's hard to not look at the Boston Celtics and be disappointed with their performance in the finals as Jason Tatum didn't really do much as Jalen Brown and crew tried to tried to put together some kind of offense, but could not prevail. And one easy way to look at it, turnovers. The Boston Celtics was lacking of a facilitator, as Marcus Smart isn't your best pass-first kind of guy, and Jason Tatum somehow became the facilitator, as he, I think, became the first-ever player to notch 100 turnovers in a playoffs. Buy or sell... This series is way more competitive if the Celtics had an elite facilitator alongside the core three. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm buying that. Uh, we talked about this in the first hour of the show. Uh, I really believe that a point guard, not even like a star point guard, but just a quality enough point guard cuts down the turnovers, takes pressure off of Tatum and Brown, uh, and allows uh, a better tempo. I mean, they were the Celtics were herky jerky, and at times they played uh, fantastic tempo basketball, especially the offensive end. You know, moving the ball around quickly, side to side, not a lot of stagnant movement. Uh, and then there were times where they were well stagnant, didn't really pass the ball around, didn't do a lot of what made them successful. Um, I, I I really do believe that you find a point guard worth enough. You don't need to spend $25 million a year on a point guard, but find one good enough that can, uh, you know, that can, can work with that offense. Yeah, this team can be right back here, and, and I think uh, that turnover number would be uh, very much down as compared to what we saw uh, from the Celtics in this series. Buy, 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 buy or sell. Sell, sell, sell. And looking at the last three finals matchups, of course, we had Boston Warriors, Bucks and Suns, Lakers, and Heat. The last three years, there has been not a lot of repetition in the final matchup of the season as years prior. We'll look at the Warriors and Cavaliers for basically what felt like all of the all of the 2010s. And now looking at the, what's coming up for next year, buy or sell, the Warriors have the best chance to be that first repeater in the last couple of years. Wow. Um, I will buy that, but I don't, I, I don't feel confident about it either, in all honesty. I, I think the big question will be, and I think not necessarily next year, but I think in a couple of years, you know, the the, the next question is going to be, uh, you know, you pay Andrew Wiggins, keep him around. I mean, he's going to be given uh, a lot of money, or he's going to have to be given a lot of money in order to stay there. And uh, you know, I think I think that's really the key, is you can keep that nucleus together, 
Clay, Steph, and Draymond have been together for what now? 11 years, I think it is. Uh, they've been to the finals, what, six times? Won four? And that's, that's pretty cool. But at some point, uh, the evolution has to happen of that roster. And I think they've started that with Peyton, Porter, Wiggins. Uh, Looney's been around there several years. But now I think you've got to make some tough decisions. And and I credit Steve Kerr. I mean, yesterday when, when they had that uh, celebratory uh, trophy presentation and he was talking to Lisa Salters from ABC and wanted to credit Bob Myers, wanted to credit you know the front office for building a really good team. And he they have. Uh, that's the underrated part of actually what Golden State's done is talent is there, but the roster building has been equally as impressive to keep this team competitive and to find you know, role players that fit. There have been some along the way that have not fit, uh, for sure, but this is a group that did, and that's how you can repeat. So, I mean, this was a well-put-together team, like, like I said, but I think the challenge will be over the next couple of years as you transition this Warriors franchise beyond the the Curry Thompson Green years, and you start to eye, you know, five years later, seven years later, ten years later, then your challenge really is there to build, and uh, and if you can do that now, I, I think there's no reason why they can't do it later. So I, I will, in a uh, long-winded way, say yes, I I buy, although. It, it's going to be tough, but I do buy the idea that the Golden State Warriors can do the back-to-back -back and, uh, and and repeat next year. Buy, 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 buy. or sell. Sell, sell, sell. That's today's buy or sell. The ESPN uh, way-too-early power rankings had cop-out, by the way. <laughs> Golden State at one and, uh, and, and Boston at two. That's how they had the rankings. Uh, you have to do that when you have the top two teams playing in the finals. You can't put one at one and the other at like four or five. Uh, you've got to put them at one and two and, and see how everything else falls. I, I think when you when you look back at the way this championship ultimately evolved, we've said it several times. The most this is probably the most impressive championship of the four that's been won in this Golden State era. Um, and I, I'm not going to use the, the, the dynasty word, but this stretch of time in which Golden State has found itself competitive, um, you know, here in the NBA, is this was the most impressive because they did start off well, although they, they were shorthanded, had to welcome back an important piece, and that is not easy. To welcome back an important piece like Clay Thompson was, and you know, stay at that same competitive level, and I think you could probably argue that they weren't. And you know, to kind of put it together in this finals, and when I say put it together, uh, in in all honesty, putting it together is maybe a little bit of a stretch. This finals run in which let's let's look at the last three games. Game four, 
Steph Curry nearly single-handedly beats Boston. Game five, Steph Curry doesn't hit a three, but it's Wiggins. Uh, Clay Thompson has has a fine showing, and you've got you've got several guys who uh, really stepped up in Game five, and then Game six, Steph did what he does. You had Draymond Green with his best performance of the finals. In every game of the last three in which Golden State won, in every game they did it differently. You think of finals winners going back to when LeBron was consistently in the finals. You think of finals winners in the last decade. How many of them were able to win a finals game in so many diverse ways and win a finals. You know, in, in the earlier Golden State years, you knew in in Golden State being successful, it was rare to see an off night from either Steph or Clay. In uh, you know, in, in LeBron's time, which I think, you know, he's kind of past his time now, but in in LeBron's prime it was rare to see him have an off night, but you rarely ever, and I'm not trying to play any kind of revisionist history at all, but you rarely ever see a situation in or saw a situation in which LeBron had an off night and it was someone else who had a career night and, and took over and won a game. And it was rare that you saw that or saw something different in multiple games. You know, that never really happened. You know, I, I I watched the last three games, and it was like watching three different games. And that's kind of unheard of. There's a certain credit to Boston, and I, I think you can give for that, that you know they make defensive adjustments, and they force someone else to beat you in the case of you know Steph Curry being off in Game 5. There, there's there's a, a, a little bit of credit that you can give there. But on the other side... I think you also have to to remind yourself that it is the a, a, a rare quality in a star-driven league, and in leagues in, in a league in which teams have been built on putting together a big two or a big three, um, you know, building around a star player. It is rare, I think, in the NBA that you can see a team at this level, at that high of a level, win it in a multitude of ways and be as successful as they were. And that is what I think I can I can give credit to in in showing that this this championship was probably the toughest one for Golden State to get because of how they had to do it. Certainly was not easy. There is a, a solo leader at the leaderboard of the US Open. We'll get an update there now. Right here on the Bobby Curran Show, this is ESPN Honolulu. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. And the Sideline Hawaii app. Uh, in about... 40 minutes or so. The Men's College World Series gets underway in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, I've 
got lineups in front of me. Kalia Harrison, not in the starting lineup for Texas A&M. Kenny's boy. Uh, yeah, not in the lineup. Uh, he is uh, off the bench. Uh, we'll see if he gets in the game today. Uh, former Hawaii shortstop Cole Kaler, who on the season's hitting 241 with three home runs and 29 runs batted in. Kaler is in the lineup for A&M and uh, is hitting ninth as they'll play Oklahoma. Uh, you can hear that on our sister station, CBS 1500, uh, broadcast time at uh, 7.40 this morning. So uh, you can check that out there. I, I do have to call out uh, Tanner Hayworth back in the control room because uh, he admitted to me, and I, I don't know how I should, should feel about this, and, and maybe you can help me on our Zephyr Insurance text line at 808-296-1420. Uh, you and and uh, and some friends of yours. You went to go uh, watch Game Six of the NBA Finals at a uh, uh, at a place where you could watch it and have a good time. I don't not gonna name the location just uh, uh, just because they don't they don't buy advertising, so <laughs> I won't name them. But um, you admitted to me that you left before the game ended. Uh, you Celtics fan, you, Tanner Hayworth. You left with how long remaining in the game now? I left with about five or four minutes left in the game. And so... Explain I, if, yourself. If there's something to be, like, soup, like to clown on me, that would I'm totally down if people are, you know, call me out on that because that's ultimately fair. I probably should have just stayed and watched. But I was just so in pain watching that game because the Celtics were just absolutely awful that game. It was one of those like Miami Heat games where they just l lay an absolute stinker. Yeah. And it's just like there's no offense going on. Every time we get a three, the Warriors then immediately got a three themselves. And then we get defensive stops. And then nothing would happen on offense. And it was just, it was just a terrible game to watch. And at that point... I had I was going from head in my hand to head in my arms. I don't know if there was enough, you know, like any like beverage to help me get through the game because I had to drive home. So not even a not even a sprite. I, I could have gotten a sprite, but at that point I was just like I couldn't do it anymore. That has and no I just, flavor. It wouldn't help you. I, it's just it was just so hard to watch that I just couldn't get through five more minutes of watching Jason Tatum stand still on the corner while someone runs an ISO for some reason. <laughs> I don't I, I don't know that I would clown you for leaving for the last four to five minutes of the game. Uh, I'll, I'll let the the judges in the audience make that determination uh, via our text line or on our Twitter at Bobby Curran show. Uh, you can get to me at Josh on the radio if leaving four to five minutes early in what Ultimately, for your team, since you used the term "we," uh, ultimately for your team was uh, was an elimination game, pretty much. I, I mean, look, I walked away from the TV, you know, in the third quarter, as I I admitted earlier, when it looked like I think it was like midway through the third quarter, and I walked away. I I, I had some work to do, um, had some some you know had some uh, honey honeydew list things to take care of on uh, on the chores list here in the home and I walked away I I was annoyed with the game I had every intention of going back by the way 
and I did for like the end of the third and 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 all the fourth quarter. I was I was there. I was I was committed. But as I said at the beginning, and I and I don't want to hammer it home just because I don't want to take away from from the accomplishments and and, and all of that stuff that that ultimately, you know, we do look back on. It was just a frustrating game, um, and 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 I don't have a a team that I root for. Um, you know, I, I had a pick, which was Celtics in seven, but. I didn't have a team that I rooted for. I just I just wanted a good game. And normally, you know, I don't usually remember games at ends of series that just dud. Like this game did for maybe about 30 uh 30 to 30 maybe not. Yeah, 30 to 35 minutes of game action of the 48 where it just felt like it was uh one-sided it was at times on, on the Boston side just slow, um, uninspired, and it was like watching a regular season game. And and maybe we're just a bit picky because you expect when you get to the finals that you expect great games every time out. It's unfair, I, I realize, uh, but that's the standard we set, uh, fair or not because of the level of excellency those two teams got to to get to where they are at and be able to, to, to play in a final series. So you, you, you expect better. You expect different. And, yeah, I, I just felt like I needed a break. Um, but I did return and watched it get down to eight. But even at that, like I never felt, even at an eight-point deficit, that Boston was going to come back. Uh, you know, I we have seen major swings. This is a, that's another thing about the series too. There were so many large uh, point swings in this game. You had the thirty to ten run, uh, you know, from the first to the second quarter that Golden State had to to completely turn the game around early. Uh, you know, the, the team that had a good majority of those runs. Uh, it was the team that won the series, and, and that was Golden State. Because of their pace, because of their, I, I will use the term experience, because of all those things, um, you know, they they could turn it on and they could sustain good play. Boston couldn't. Boston at times got in its own way. But yeah, I won't, I, I won't, I won't get on you for for leaving with four to five minutes left. But you did pay, right? You, you didn't, you didn't walk of out of there. I paid. Okay, I did pay. Okay. I just want to make sure in case those people are listening um, and, and, and for the, uh, the the listener on the other side of the speaker that you weren't a jerk. You were uh, <laughs> you were frustrated, but you did the things that you were supposed to do when uh, when fronting a good establishment. So good on you. Uh, texter on our Zephyr Insurance text line at 808-296-1420 who says, I guess I am agreeing with Josh. Sounds like that's such a painful thing to to do. Uh, says the Warriors are too slick to be defended and beaten in the paint or from three-point range. They are great because they win without a LeBron or Giannis. Does it really hurt to agree with me every once in a while? <laughs> uh, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't blame people for not. Um, but but thank you for tuning in from the seven eight one Ray. Thank you for listening in and hanging on the phones. How are you today? Hey Josh. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, 
my takeaway on the playoffs, to be honest with you, first of all, I've never seen so many missed traveling calls. I mean, it's it's been really sloppy, to be honest with you. Uh, that's the first thing. And the second thing is, speaking of sloppy, I've never seen so many leads of 30 and 40 and 50 points of, like, being blown on top of that. The refreshing thing about the playoffs was seeing new teams in the mix that could be, could be. We thought last year Atlanta might be, you know, a refreshing new uplift. But to see the Pelicans this year and uh, the Memphis Grizzlies uh, doing their thing, I thought that was really good for the league to see some new, new blood uh, playing decent ball. What's your take on that? Yeah, I, I'm I'm a, a thousand percent with you on that last part. And, and and Ray, good to hear your voice. Thank you for dialing in uh, at eight zero eight two nine six fourteen twenty. The league needed that. Um, you know, the league needed to transition out of and and you know, there's a ratings hit right now. I mean, I've I've been looking at the television ratings and and the ratings are not great, uh, which I'll I'll get to in a second. The league has needed, and it will take a little bit of time, a, a, a good stretch of – and the league needs it. A good stretch of time in which you have uh, a lot of different teams that can compete for a title, not just two, not just three, and to see new stars. Because this, this is the transition time now for the NBA. LeBron ultimately has what uh, – a couple of years left and he has been the face of the league so you know now you you have to transition out of that uh, but when you lose a star or you're going to to lose a star soon you need to have a couple that step up and and pick that up and take and take the game forward and, and we've already gotten that in uh in the Morants and uh the Trey Youngs and and Luca in the last couple of years. So the league is in good hands because you've got those players and those players. I mean, I, I, I wait on Zion um, only because I want to see him healthy for a full year uh, and, and for that team to be competitive with him healthy for a full year. But that's the other important thing is those players are playing on teams that are getting to the postseason, And you need that to make the postseason compelling. Three to four years ago, before the pandemic, let's face it, um, the postseason didn't get compelling until you got to the finals. Because you could pin down who would play in the finals, and then from there, you know, it was, who knows what was going to happen, but the ratings were good, people watched, you had LeBron, you had Steph, you had, uh, you had the key players and you just didn't know how the series was going to turn out. You know, it will. You have to give it a little bit of time, I think, for uh, for the parity in the league to get better and to really take a hold of this league. And I think it, you know the the television ratings are going to suffer for a little bit because of it. I mean, they're also suffering because you know, your your most well known player plays in the West Coast. And a good chunk of your ratings will come from the East Coast. And when they're all sleeping, when your best player is playing, um, you, know, you don't have as many eyeballs. Uh, Major League Baseball's two best players play in Los Angeles, and that can make ratings suffer, for sure. 
Um, but I, that's that's the biggest positive. Uh, I'm I'm right with you there, Ray. That uh, parity in this league has not been this good in a while. And uh, if this can keep up, uh, even in the age of just massive spending and players wanting to play with each other, um, you know, kind of like you know, putting together their own teams. Uh, that's a really big plus for this league in, in in the longer term. But you are right on the other stuff. The game has gotten sloppy. That's another reason why I think you know the the regular season at times is at at times unwatchable because of load management and because it's 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 not as much really about um, you know the traveling. And we've just gotten kind of numb to it already. They don't call traveling 95% of the time, although they did call one on Clay in the final minute of yesterday's game. You know, it, it's, it's sloppy. There's a lot guys get away with. It's, it's the usual stuff. I'm not going to get into the every year spiel of guys crying over fouls and refereeing being bad. I mean, um, we get into it every year. And I, I don't feel good that it's going to change. That's why the, the regular season to me, I can't watch it. You know, I, I'll, I'll I'll take in a game or two here and there if it if it means something. You know, I'll, I'll take it in. Once the All Star game hits, then yeah, I'll take in a little bit more. I'll pay attention a little bit more at the trade deadline. But the regular season's just hard. It's it's honestly, and and maybe it's because I'm a little more partial to baseball. Um, I have an easier time watching a 162 game baseball regular season than I do an 82 game NBA regular season. And that stretches out almost over the same period of time. So for all of you pace of play folks, you just 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 stick it. I don't I don't need to hear about your pace of play problems in baseball because at least it's still watchable until a position player has to pitch in a fifteen to three game. Um, that's the biggest hurdle. The problem is that that's been now one of the biggest hurdles in the last couple of years and, and, and nothing has changed because the quality has gotten just progressively worse. One more, uh, this texter says painful game to watch, change the channel at seven ten in the fourth. Uh, so many turnovers and Tatum a wall. I'd rather watch a pickup game. Well, good news. Uh, that big three will be back at some point. So, uh, you can, you can watch a three on three pickup game anytime and people get paid to play in them even better. Uh, we'll check on traffic coming up here in a second. And reminder, Father's Day is this Sunday. Why are you waiting, by the way? Because if you're looking for a great gift for Father's Day, you can search an entire store full of dad stuff. That's at City Mill and CityMill.com. This is the Bobby Curran Show. I'm Josh Pacheco. You're listening to ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by Dr. Charles Arakaki at Ohana Men's Clinic. Visit drcharlesarakaki.com. You're listening to the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. We'll get another update from uh, the U.S. Open in about four minutes. First, we say hi to John, who's calling in at 808-296-1420. John, good morning. 
Hey, good morning. You know, I think that one of the problems with the NBA is that with the three-point shot being being so prevalent, there's rarely two teams that are on at the same time. So what you get is either one team just going at it or both of them not going at it. And, the, you know, the lead changes, the, the amount of blowouts there is because of that, that, that I think that's the problem. But at the same time, you know, I I wasn't keeping up with the ratings all the way through the playoffs, but I know the first couple rounds, like ratings are up higher than it's been in a decade. So mm-hmm. I do I do think the NBA is, is is in good hands with the younger players. Um, not like when Michael Jordan retired. They just, well, he retired the second time. It showed, it showed how bad the ratings went at that point. But I think the NBA is in good hands with Luca and Moran and all those guys. And um, Golden State, though, they're gonna they they're gonna have a chance to run this over and over again with the amount of good young players they have between Wiseman. Like nobody even know how good Wiseman could be. His potential is through the roof. Kuminga, Moses, Moody, Poole, you know, they, they could extend Clay and Curry's prime because you, you won't have to, you know, fully rely on them in the next two, three years because during the regular season, you could ride the young guys a little bit more. And I think Clay is going to be better next year as, as well. I think his legs is going to be a, a little bit more under him. So Golden State is going to have a chance to extend this dynasty and it's going to be crazy to watch and then here's the thing if you had to go back and choose lebron versus curry who are you taking you should take curry you get the same amount of championships in less time mind you and you didn't have to fire any coaches you didn't have to trade away all your team you didn't have to worry about the guy moving and moving and moving Right, in, in in hindsight, if you had to draft those two, which guy from Akron you taking? I'm taking the guy from Akron. Name is Steve Stephen Curry. Have a good day, Allah. Wow. Um not something I thought I would hear. Uh going back to uh to our little joke, Tanner, earlier on uh, what national producers are putting together uh for some of their shows. One which you actually got right. Uh first take actually did something on Kevin Durant, which just boggles my mind today. Man, um, I think a lot of what I heard there on who you'd rather take in a Steph or LeBron in hindsight, very much hindsight, um, but a lot of it very, very optical. But I, man, I, I, I still don't think you can argue about, see, the thing is, both of these guys are very transformational in their games. Steph, because of how he made the three-point shot become, you know, even more so of a weapon than it ever had been. And and in, in LeBron's end, you take someone his size, his strength, which is pretty much unmatched, and then his ability to shoot from the outside and get better into his later years in certain areas of his game yeah, there's all that other stuff. I, I don't know if that's a disqualifier from taking him first. Let's get an update from the U.S. Open. Follow us on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app.
Talk with Jonathan Von Tobel a little bit later on in the program. From VEASAN, he is their uh, senior NBA analyst. This right here is the Bobby Curran Show here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. I'm Josh Pacheco in for Bobby. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Our text line, the Zephyr Insurance text line is open at 808-296-1420. You can call us at 808-296-1420 as well. That's where we heard John a little while ago. We had break it open, uh, break it up because of the uh, U.S. Open update we had. But that's where we heard John earlier bring up, in hindsight, if you had to do it all over again, you have Steph Curry, you have LeBron James. Knowing what we know currently... Who would you take? And uh, uh, that's where we ultimately got, or at least to uh, to, to John's answer, he said, uh, based on all of that, he would actually uh, go ahead and take Steph Curry rather than LeBron James, which I was just, I was so surprised that it is a conversation that we got to at this point today. Uh, Steph Curry wins a, wins a finals MVP, and we get the the Curry to LeBron comparison, which I honestly I, I don't even feel like is really a comparison to make whatsoever. But it is uh, because that's how some of you feel to get here. So uh, comparison is as a as a comparison is. So um, the, I would still take LeBron if you if you forced me. To choose, which I feel like is is one of the problems also that we have in the NBA, because the NBA is one of the few sports where we actually have to try to make comparisons to decide to decide who is better than who. Um, you know, for for me, sometimes I mean, I, I I I've told you before, I hate the comparison game because I believe at times it's kind of lazy. But hey, I'll I'll uh, I'll take the run of someone who's listening in and wants to make a comparison and, and wants to try to uh, give you the hindsight run of what you'd rather have now knowing what you know. Uh, I am still a believer, though, because I, I know the three-point game in large part has been you know buoyed by the fact that Curry and, and Thompson have, have made that so strong you know we gone from the days are uh you know the elite big man uh you don't see that as much anymore and now some of your tallest players are playing the two guard or playing a small forward position just ask kevin durant uh for as tall as he is just ask luka Doncic for as tall as as he is you know you have some of those guys who are more of ball handlers than guys who are sitting in the post and boy can we not remember the uh, can we not remember when LeBron was in Miami and Chris Bosh, they decided to turn him into a shooting forward uh, instead of, you know, the normal post position player he was. They decided, you know what, maybe he's uh, he's he's actually better as someone who can hit the outside shot. Al Horford's now an outside shooting post man, spending less time in the post. It's uh, um, It's become much more of the norm whether you like it or not and I, I personally don't um, but that being said maybe I'm a, I'm a, a, a little more driven towards someone who can defend I think LeBron's a better defender 
get to the rim, can hit the outside shot, can do all those things. And and you know what? In sports now, while I love the idea of someone staying in one place and not going anywhere else, which is what Steph has done, and I applaud it, um, and I, I want to see more of it in sports, but I think we also realize and the business of, of the game isn't really that way. The business of the game is more along the lines of guys will move. Guys want to chase money. They want to chase opportunities outside of the sport, like Hollywood, uh, like other things. And that's going to, at times, lead them to go elsewhere. If you have someone who stays in one franchise for the entirety of their careers, I mean, you cherish that. Because it is rare that you will see that from a major, major player in that particular sport. Uh, but I wouldn't make that, and, you know, it's not like Steph's only played for one coach. It's not true. Steve Kerr, Mark Jackson before that. You've had some of the interim coaches like uh, like Luke Walton for a little while. It's not like he's had one stable head coach, although Steve Kerr's been there for quite a while. Um, and I realize the difference. Steve Kerr didn't run out anybody, or I'm not Steve Kerr. Uh, Steph Curry didn't run out anybody, so I, I realize that alteration in the conversation. But that, to me, shouldn't affect um, who you potentially would take. Um, as your guy if you had to do this draft all over again. And, and I think it's funny that we're here. But it's also interesting that we're here too because, again, we are in a first-take society, whether you like it or not, and sometimes we try to be a little bit different than that. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we fall into that trap, uh, the first-take trap, not to try to play into the feud of form, you know, some of the original first-take hosts that's going on over the Internet right now. Um, but for I'll give you an example with Steph Curry. You know, after the game, you know, he got his first finals MVP. And one of the things that came up after the game is, as I was watching the post-game coverage was, well, is he, you know, is, does this change or cement his legacy now that he has a finals MVP trophy? Which I thought was laughable. I mean, I don't know that we judge people's resumes by finals MVPs. I know we might judge them by MVPs and we might judge them by championships, but finals MVPs, um, that's a new one. It's almost like you haven't watched them play and you're only trying to determine someone's legacy by looking in their trophy case, which seems just incredibly unfair. Final hour next. Now, Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. One more hour to go here on the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Great to have you in today. I'm Josh Pacheco in for Bobby. All of our guests appear courtesy of our hotline. Jonathan Von Tobel coming up in uh, just about 20 minutes as we kind of start to put a bow, I know there have been a lot of storylines uh, going off of this NBA Finals that we've gotten to play off of today, which has given us a lot of content. And uh, we've spent a lot of time on the NBA Finals on this show, given that a championship was won uh, just a night ago. But we'll start to make the transition out of that 
um, coming up in just a little while uh, when Jonathan Von Tobel joins us, like all of our guests do, courtesy of our hotline. You want to get in touch with us? You can. You can text us at 808-296-1420 via the Zephyr Insurance text line. Uh, you can call us at 808-296-1420, and you can tweet the program at Bobby Curran Show. Uh, you can get to me directly at Josh on the radio. Some of the headlines, if you're getting in your car and you haven't been able to hop on Twitter or you didn't get to put on SportsCenter this morning as you were uh, getting ready to go to work, uh, some of the headlines we're paying attention to just about to get underway. Uh, the Men's College World Series, former uh, University of Hawaii shortstop Cole Kaler, plays for Texas A&M, and uh, he is the starting shortstop. He's batting ninth today, so uh, we'll see Texas A&M taking on Oklahoma. First pitch is coming up in just a couple of moments. That game is on our sister station, CBS 1500. You can also see it on ESPN television. Uh, you know, uh, Kenny Harrison, one of Kenny Harrison's sons, or Kenny Harrison plays on that Texas A&M team, not in the lineup as uh, the game gets started today. We'll see if he gets some action here in the Men's College World Series. Uh, also, uh, the National Football League dropping down some fines today and a couple of coaches and teams. Uh, Rod Rivera and the Washington Commanders find $100,000. They lose a couple of OTA practices next year because they had excessive contact in spring drills. Uh, this after uh, practice video was reviewed. Uh, and then uh, the other team that got hit today uh, was the Chicago Bears, I believe it was, uh, that, that also got hit with uh, some kind of punishment. But uh, the Commanders lose a couple of practices. And, uh, of course, we're also watching the U.S. Open, which is underway. In fact, we'll have uh, another update from the U.S. Open coming up in just less than 15 minutes where it is a crowded, crowded leaderboard uh, right near the top. So uh, we'll get you out to uh, to Brookline coming up in just a little while uh, with another update after that 103-90 win from the Golden State Warriors yesterday. Um, how do we start to turn the page? And I guess I said we'd, we'd turn the page a little bit after we talked with uh, Jonathan Von Tobel a little while ago, but uh, I, I guess we should turn it a, a little sooner Looking at the uh, the power rankings that were put out by ESPN.com earlier today, it is the way too early. And when I say way, I mean way too early uh, power rankings that ESPN put out. And no surprise, Golden State at number one. And granted, they have the best odds of winning the NBA title uh, next year. They've got uh, you know a couple of key parts here. We'll see what they do with Kevon Looney. We'll see what they do with Gary Payton II. Both are free agents. Uh, they have an option on Andrew Wiggins. Uh, they are the highest spending team in the league. I'm reminded of that because uh, Brian Windhorst earlier in this series had called one of the Golden State Warriors wins a checkbook win, which drew the ire of some people. So uh, the Warriors are predictably at number one. And... Uh, that after winning a championship, that's not a surprise whatsoever. Looking farther down and seeing some of the teams that I think a lot of you might identify with, there is particularly one, and I'm thinking back because uh, John called in earlier and brought up LeBron James because you can't do an NBA Finals 
conversation. You can't do an NBA conversation and not talk about LeBron James. Apparently, it's uh, bad for ratings if you don't. But uh, they had the Lakers at after their 33-49 and 49 record last year. Plus 2,200 odds to win the 2023 championship. And in it, number 17 in, uh, in, in the way-too-early power rankings. And I read a little bit earlier what, what Dave McMenamin said. If you're just tuning in, this is what Dave McMenamin, who covers the Lakers, wrote for ESPN.com on the Lakers situation, saying, um, the Lakers began the arduous process of finding their way back to a championship contention by choosing Darvin Ham to be the new head coach. There's plenty of work left to do with as many as seven roster spots needing to be filled. And, of course, the Russell Westbrook conundrum. They said hiring Ham is a good first step at least. Well, it is a good first step if it got the LeBron James uh, seal of approval. Otherwise, if it doesn't work out, you might have LeBron James wanting him out midway through the season. I say that half seriously only because we all know the conversation that seems to come up around LeBron James and coaches. It's a it's a it's a half serious thing. But I mean realistically, seventeen sounds just it, it sounds really low for a team that has a guy named LeBron James on it. But ultimately, seventeen's maybe not low enough. I don't know that I have the confidence that the Lakers are really good next year. And I'm reminded, again, a lot of it, they've dealt with injuries, especially to some of their key players. And I'm, I'm not going to totally blame the whole Russell Westbrook thing. That's an easy one to bring up. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't know how much you really rely on Russell Westbrook and whether he's there or not, or whether, you know, you get something for him as a reason as to why you are good or not good next year. Um, he just turned out to be a massive, massive mistake, I think, for L.A. He didn't fit. It was not the type of team that he was going to fit on anyway. Um, I said that when the deal was done, and I kind of wondered how that would work, given you know the way he plays and how it's worked when he has also played around people who are, um, you know, alpha dominant players with the ball in their hands. How's that gone? Didn't learn the lesson in Houston. Didn't learn the lesson in Oklahoma City. Didn't really matter. The Lakers went after a name. It's kind of like what, I mean, maybe I, I could be wrong in, in making this comparison, but I, I kind of liken it a little bit to what was wrong, I think, in baseball at the New York Yankees for many years. And, and I think they've tried to turn it around, and I think they've done better for it. But it always felt like for years the New York Yankees were playing on the brand. Like the Lakers, I, I think, have been playing on the brand. And playing on the fact that, okay, we've got the best player in the game. People want to play with the best player in the game. So you think. So we're going we're, we're gonna to kind of build on that. That's how we're going to roster build. We're not going to you know, necessarily build in a way that maybe makes sense for the long haul. Because we want to win now. We're, we're going to build on names. And you know, that's, that's how I looked at the way the Yankees did it. And, and to, to a point, you know, there, there was a time where it worked. 
And as baseball quality got better, other teams improved, built rosters through their farm systems, uh, you know, put together good pitching, groomed good pitching. You know, all that stuff about, you know, the Yankees and just, you know, signing names. And, you know, putting together all-star-like rosters, it stopped working. How many managers have we seen kind of, you know, the last few years gone and they have not had success when they've tried to basically buy rosters? And that's what I, I think was the biggest problem with them. I mean, now they're they're looking good. I don't think they've necessarily bought a roster that can win. You know, I don't want to take away from someone like Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who they got in the trade. You know, there's a, a good mix of, of healthy names that they did buy. And there are guys that are key contributors that they didn't buy, if you will. So they... They found a mix. I think they're going back to, to doing better in a farm system, and that's led to them now having the best record in, in Major League Baseball. To bring it back to the NBA and bring it back to Los Angeles Lakers and what I think has gone wrong, you know, we make fun of a long time ago the the ill-fated years where Kobe Bryant was by himself and playing with a bunch of guys that didn't deserve to be in the same lineup as him. And we we've all tried to forget those years, I think. Um, good, bad, otherwise, it, it it was embarrassing. But there wasn't also there there was also I think a longer term plan at play. You just couldn't see it because at that time there was a lot of transition going on, and the Lakers weren't really buying names to build on the brand what the Lakers have gotten themselves into here and why I don't trust them to be competitive, I don't trust the 17 number that's been put up there, is they're doing that. You have a GM who's you know, a former agent, you've got turmoil in the front office, and then you're really trying to play around you know, the other brand, the brand name of the team and the brand name of the player which is what LeBron is, has been. He's been the brand that everybody tries to to create, or not create, but build around. You could do that in his early 30s. You could do it in his late 20s. You, you can't really do it now. You, you can't just go and collect a Russell Westbrook and say, hey, here's a an all-pro point guard uh, you know, one of the best in this decade to do it. Let's bring him in, and oh, he'll we'll, just kind of, you know, fit into the mold of what we're doing. Not quite. That's not really how it works when this team game in the NBA is also very much individualized. And so, so they failed. You know, the, the Anthony Davis thing was a need because you needed a second star right next to LeBron, but but injuries have kind of plagued that. Um, they haven't done a great job with depth. That's been a problem because, again, the focus has been on, all right, we want names. This is the Los Angeles Lakers. We are the brightest team in Hollywood. 
you know, the Clippers can't touch us, even though, you know, Kawhi and Paul George. And you could argue maybe the Clippers, outside of, you know, key injuries, are probably built better. Uh, that's why the Clippers are higher up in the way too early power rankings than the Lakers are by a lot. They've done a better job of building, but the Lakers are trying to build on, again, brand. Not necessarily winning, but we have a brand to uphold, and we want that to be what pushes us forward. When the reality is, at this stage of the game, it's not how it's going to work. Yeah, the Golden State Warriors spent more money than anybody. Uh, but do you think they were doing that based on a whole bunch of names? No. Look at the players that they got as part of the brand, like the Otto Porters and the Gary Paytons. You think that was brand building? No, that was depth building. And uh, and that's a very big difference. All right, we'll uh, check on the leaderboard at the U.S. Open from Brookline. Coming up in just seconds, I'm Josh Pacheco. You're listening to The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. This is The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. And the Sideline Hawaii. All of our guests, when they appear here on the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu, they do so courtesy of our hotline. Happy to have Jonathan Von Tobel with us uh, from VEASAN's uh, Live on the Edge, uh, VEASAN Live, uh, also Hardwood Handicappers, and he's their senior NBA analyst. And Jonathan's with us now here on ESPN Honolulu. Um, I, I, there's a number of different ways I want this conversation to go, but... Since you, you're also on the handicapping end of things, I, I, I want to play to how unlikely this scenario would have been if we talked about it, if we talked about the finals at the beginning of the year. Uh, whether we would have seen this Warriors-Celtics scenario coming if we were talking back in October. I don't think we do. All right, we'll, we'll check in and see if we got Jonathan... Uh, on the line with us as all of our guests appear courtesy of our hotline here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. So we'll, we'll bring Jonathan in on a second. I, I wanted to play to a couple of different angles with him. Uh, one, just kind of from that handicapping end on, you know, what ultimately happened that we probably didn't expect at the beginning of the year. And then just kind of going through that series in general, does it really matter since everybody wants to talk about legacy and everybody wants to talk about resumes and all that stuff, does it really matter that Steph Curry finally got a, a Finals MVP award? I I don't I don't know that. I mean, to me, I I already I already had uh, his resume put together at, at least for me. But does it really matter? We'll we'll get to that in a second. Let's try Jonathan again. Uh, from Beeson, their senior NBA analyst and uh, uh, host of Hardwood Handicappers. Uh, Jonathan, I'll, I'll ask the question I asked earlier. Um, play on your on your handicapping work. Uh, how unlikely was this? If we were talking back in October, this probably would not have been a scenario we'd be talking about. Uh, you mean like Boston versus Golden yeah. State? Or, yeah. Or Golden? yeah, I think... You know, it wasn't the most likely of scenarios. Golden State was up there in terms of being a, a title contender. They weren't one of the favorites to win a title. 
Uh, but they weren't a long shot by any stretch. And for Boston, they were middle of the pack in terms of the power rating for them and in terms of where they were at from a future standpoint. I think they opened the season in the range of about 20 to 1 or so, depending on where you shopped. And then, of course, we know about what happened right in the middle of the season, that well that they get into to start the year. They end up 18 and 21. Uh, their odds bottom out as high as 80 to 1 to win an NBA title, and they get to within two wins of it. So, yeah, if, if we were to tell you at the beginning of the year that it would be Boston and Golden State duking it out with the Golden State Warriors winning that title over the Celtics, it would be, I think, a mild surprise, at least on the Celtics' side. I think there were a lot of people who thought that this Warriors team was primed for at least a really good season. A title, maybe not, but at least the top three team and competing for a title in the NBA, absolutely. Uh, you know, Playing off of that, do you remember the point in the season in which Golden State became that title contender? I mean, because as you were saying, really good, maybe not that title contending team at the beginning of the year, but do you remember the point in which Golden State started to be looked at as that title contender, that true title contender? Yeah, actually, so there. I think there's a couple of, like, um, I guess you'll call it, like, points for the Warriors throughout this entire season. The first was at the beginning of the year, because if you remember, Steph Curry came out uh, guns a-blazing this year, and in the first, I want to call it, like, 21, 22 games or so, he was scoring 27.5 points. He was shooting 41% from three on 13 three-point attempts per game, averaging five and six in terms of rebounds and assists. And, and at one point, he had become the favorite to win MVP, if you remember, somewhere around that range of, like, uh, early December, and then he goes into a really long slump. So I would call that the first point where everybody looked at this Warriors team as a true contender. And the second point was where they actually became the favorite to win a title was when Phoenix uh, had that injury to Chris Paul, and, of course, Devin Booker had to finish out the regular season as like, the main guy for the Phoenix Suns. That's when they officially became a favorite to win the title. So I think if you look at those two moments, and I think those are the two important moments, it was those first 21 games where Curry at one point becomes the favorite to win most valuable player, and the other point when the Suns start to deal with their injuries and the Warriors in the market shift them to becoming the favorite to win the NBA final. So, you know, they'd always been kind of up there, but I think those two moments you really point to is where the masses started to turn and say, you know what, this looks like a team that like, we're kind of familiar with, right? The team that won multiple titles in years past. So I think those are the two moments you point to for sure. Jonathan Von Tobel from uh, VSIN, one of their senior NBA analysts and uh, Hardwood Handicappers host. He joins us here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Let's get to a little bit more of the nuts and bolts, really, uh, of this series and, and really the aftermath of this series as well. And, and one of the things I wanted to bring up with you, um, there's a lot of the talk after the game on Steph Curry finally getting the finals MVP award, what that means for him, all of those things. I, I personally felt like I didn't need a, a Curry finals MVP to really change anything about his resume, but from from your perspective, does it? Uh, no, I'm with you. I'm firmly in your camp. I mean, if you if you enjoy basketball and you have watched what Steph Curry has done throughout his entire career, I think you kind of know that this guy didn't need a, an award voted on by seven members of the media to tell you that he was an incredible player. But there are those who want to because we know about the, you know the debate culture we're in with sports talk and sports talk radio, and we have to have our lists and we have to have you know, things that we hold against these guys. But if you've watched Steph Curry and you see the way that he has changed the game of basketball, a shoot-first point guard who actually plays off of the ball just as much as he plays on the ball, you know, in, in the, the way that he has kind of broken offense to a certain extent. You know, I know he's known as Damian Lillard or Logo Lillard. Steph Curry 
is a guy who is regularly bombing away from 30 feet. And he's the guy I think we really contribute that to the most. I mean, this guy, whenever the ball leaves his hands from any spot on the court, you expect that thing to go in. He changed the game. He's one of the best players, I think, of all time. You know, I don't really have rankings, but I think you can safely say he's one of the best basketball players to ever grace the court. And I didn't need seven media members to tell me otherwise or to get him a tiny little trophy to go with the four other big ones that he's got. I don't think he needed it. I agree with you. With that said, you know, looking at how the Warriors got to that title and and looking at game six specifically, um, Draymond Green's impact was, it it seemed like finally felt in a positive way. Uh, We weren't talking about Draymond Green, the antagonist necessarily. We were talking about Draymond Green, uh, who outside of the turnover number, um, just did the things that he needed to do without any of the, the extra stuff that he was known for, and it worked. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I've always kind of been like a Draymond stan. Like, uh, you know, my co-host out here, uh, when I do part-time work at ESPN Las Vegas, we always kind of butt heads on it. He's very anti-Draymond, but I'm very pro uh, Draymond Green just because of the things that he does. And, you know, he gets the moniker given to him by Chuck Barkley and Mr. Triple Single. But it's a pretty vital triple single that he puts out there. And, you know, in the other night, it's not a triple single. He actually puts up 12, 12, and 8, nearly a triple-double. But, like, I, what I liked about it, and you kind of alluded to it, it was the response. You know, in that game, I think it was game three, uh, in which Draymond Green, uh, or actually it might have been game four, but it, when he's benched in the fourth quarter, right, for five minutes, and they go with Kevon Looney as opposed to him, and then Steve Kerr goes offense-defense with him and Jordan Poole, kind of showing a, a break in trust with Draymond that we can't really play you. The response that he has had in the two games following was brilliant. On the defensive end of the floor, super dynamic, forcing turnovers, being really stout whenever he's got somebody along the perimeter, rebounding in a really strong way, dishing assists. The guy had 14 assists in the last two games. You know, being more like Draymond Green to respond the way that he did, I think is really, really strong. And even go back to last night, he goes 5 of 10 from the floor. He hits two three-pointers, something he hadn't done at all. He hadn't hit a single three-pointer in this series. But the Celtics were daring him to shoot. And even hit the mid-range jumper from the elbow as well at one point game i'm with you like i I like you know when really good players respond to adversity and draymond really did that i was thoroughly impressed with draymond green the last two games of this series jonathan von tobel joining us from vison uh host the hardwood handicappers uh handicappers and he's their senior uh nba analyst he joins us here on espn honolulu what do the celtics need to do to get back here next year Man, well, I think one, they're, they're, so I was going over, and I did this on the podcast late last night, early this morning, where from a roster standpoint, they're pretty much set. The only guys that are free agents are making less than a million dollars. It's the guys that came in at the end of game five. Uh, and we're running up another quarter the last 90 seconds. So they'll be fine in terms of bringing it back. But I do think you have to think about how you run your offense in that. Is Marcus Smart the point guard that is going to run this offense? And not to say what happened for the Celtics is Marcus Smart's fault. Uh, But you did see late in these games and in these fourth quarters and in the series as a whole that their offense was not very smooth at times. When the Warriors score 123 points off of turnovers over the course of six games, that's a problem. When your offense gets really stagnant and going into yesterday uh, to have a negative net rating of about negative 30 in the fourth quarter of those games because they get so tight, that's not good. You know, going into the postseason, they went 13-22 and in games that went to clutch minutes in the regular season. They were not very good in clutch minutes, in close games. And that is a sign of an offense that really bogs down. And so I think you really have to look around and say, okay, how do we fix this offense? Because I think they're going to be good on defense no matter what. Robert Williams said after the game yesterday that all he needs is rehab and and time off, and his knee is going to be perfectly fine. They'll come back healthy and pretty much whole 
uh, when we get back to next season. It's just how do you fix that offense when it becomes a problem, when you're turning the ball over as much as you are? And I think you directly look at point guard and say, okay, how can we fix this? Especially when it's not a really impressive point guard class in free agency. So I'll be interested to see what they do to address it. But I think that's top of the list. Jonathan Von Tobel, VSID, uh, Hardwood Handicappers, Senior NBA Analyst. Uh, Jonathan, enjoy, uh, I would say, the offseason, but uh, the draft is next week, so there's really no offseason. And before you know it, we'll get right to preseason games in just a couple of months. Thank you for your time. Yep, you got it. Thank you. All right, Jonathan joins us here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Uh, a lot of what he just said with Boston, we, we talked about earlier in, in what they need. It's telling about where this team lost this series it was incredibly inconsistent uh and especially on the offensive end where you'd have stretches of really good basketball and you'd have stretches of really bad bad basketball and it needed a leader it needed a facilitator it needed um a take charge individual uh but also someone with, with a, a calming enough effect that if things were to go awry that they could kind of bring things back to where they need to be and they didn't have that and and, and that can that can make a difference uh, with a team that doesn't have enough firepower as compared to a golden state uh, Boston can't go toe to toe from outside the arc with a golden state so you need to kind of have a little bit of the the basics to be able to go you know right there with them there is some developing news from the National Football League, which we'll get to coming up next, because we now kind of have an idea of what the NFL wants to do with Deshaun Watson. The problem may be the Players Association. And uh, we'll explain what this situation might be and what the argument is from the players coming up in just a couple of minutes. we got Father's Day coming up on Sunday, and if you're looking for a great gift for the uh, best dad in your life, Come on, they're all the best. Uh, you can search an entire store full of dad stuff. That's at City Mill and CityMill.com. Surf right here. Uh, we'll get to that Deshaun Watson developing news next. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by PVT Land Company, supporting academics, athletics, and the community on the YNI Coast. to have you in. It is the Bobby Curran Show here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Josh Pacheco in for Bobby today. We'll get another update from the U.S. Open uh, coming up in uh, in just a little bit. But there is some developing news coming from the National Football League on Deshaun Watson. And uh, this is being reported by the Washington Post. And uh, because I don't have a Washington Post subscription... Um, I can only go by the reporter's texts here, and that's uh, texts, uh, tweets, and that's Mark Maskey, a longtime reporter covering the NFL uh, based in Washington, D.C. Uh, a source on Deshaun Watson's side of this case says that the NFL will probably seek a full season suspension of Deshaun Watson. Um, the disciplinary officer would likely call it a significant suspension for violating the personal conduct policy. That's what multiple sources say here. Uh, they say that the NFL hopes to have the entire disciplinary process, including any potential appeal to Commissioner Roger Goodell or his designee, 
resolved by the start of training camp, the initial disciplinary ruling to be made uh, by disciplinary officer Sue L. Robinson uh, under the current version of the conduct policy. But this is where the NFLPA is coming from. Because they don't believe Deshaun Watson should face a suspension. And as first reported by Pro Football Talk and is also being reported by the Washington Post, the Players Association, in its defense of Deshaun Watson, says it would use the lack of suspensions by the league under the personal conduct policy of owners Daniel Snyder, Robert Kraft, and Jerry Jones. We'll, we'll get to that comparison in a moment for those that don't know it. The NFL could also impose a fine on Watson in, additional to any, in addition to any lost salary from an unpaid suspension, and they could leave open the possibility of further discipline if new information is uncovered in the future. So, putting it very briefly, the NFL, it sounds like, wants to punish him. The Players Association wants to make an argument why they shouldn't punish him that we may actually get a resolution we've only been waiting like a year for. We may actually get a resolution on this um, fairly soon, probably within the next, what, month, month and a half. This, uh, the timing of this is is interesting. I think the NFL kind of wants to get this out of the headlines, which is why I think this might be coming to a head very soon. The NFL didn't want to do this last year, you may remember, um, there was still a a criminal process that was in place, and they they had to wait to that. They didn't have all the evidence, um, and I think the NFL at that point had said we have to wait till that all plays out. Then the criminal process played out, and and nothing came of it. Um, and so it's it's now really a civil issue, uh, but the NFL is, has said it will continue to investigate in what is no longer a a criminal case, but. The, the Players Association argument is, <laughs> I, I, I what, rich? I don't know if rich is the right word, but the Players Association argument is an incredible leap. And, it, it, and much harder to, I, I think, take seriously than what I thought maybe they would use to, to try to defend a potential full-season suspension. They say, okay, there was no personal conduct policy uh, punishments of Daniel Snyder, Robert Kraft, and Jerry Jones. All right, let's look at the three. Uh, Daniel Snyder, he's also looking at some potential issues with the federal government. Um, he declined to meet in front of a select committee looking into uh, his franchise uh, misconduct, although not a lot of it is him personally, but uh, of the way things are run in that organization, and I'm reminded as I say that, you know, the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA with Mark Cuban. You know, a lot of what was going on within that organization, Mark Cuban did not do, but it happened under his watch and he didn't stop it. And so Mark Cuban is guilty because it's it's his franchise and his franchise had to pay a punishment for that. Um, Daniel Snyder has been looked at as a long time as a terrible owner and uh, a, a questionable ethic owner. But to compare him, I, I see. I hate comparisons, and this is and this is why I find the players' association argument to just be a, you know a little more of an annoyance than anything else. 
I don't like comparisons about people's issues. You know, if if uh, Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson and his 26 civil cases and apparently 66 women over 17 months that he went to for massages, I'm not going to compare him, good, bad, otherwise, better, worse, whatever, to Daniel Snyder's list of issues as an NFL owner. I'm not going to compare uh, Deshaun Watson to Robert Kraft and, and his um, massages, I guess, if you will, uh, that landed him in a little bit of hot water and, and nothing happened to him. Jerry Jones, uh, I think, was being sued for, uh, you know, being the father of someone that I guess he didn't know or whatever that story was. Um He's taken to court by by a woman who says that he's he's her father. But why are we? I mean, I, I get it in you trying to argue a punishment, but I, the moral aspect of me uh, of it tells me, it, it just seems so dirty, to try to compare one person's issues to another person's issues to another person's issues. Um, if you are found to have violated the personal conduct policy then you should be punished for it. And, and I'm not familiar with how it pertains to owners, which has to be a little more difficult because keep in mind, um, the owners pay the commissioner. The owners employ Roger Goodell. There's a conflict of interest, surely, and that's why they have uh, another individual that is going to oversee this, the, you know, the, the disciplinary officer. But I, I don't want to... Uh, I, I don't want to hear it when it comes to, well, what about this person? What about this? No. If if you are guilty of misconduct and being kind of just a creepy individual in doing so, uh, you deserve a full season suspension and a fine, regardless of what happened to anybody else. Let's take a look at the U.S. Open right now. This is the Bobby Curran Show. Follow us on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii. On Point with Artie Wilson is coming up next here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. This is the Bobby Curran Show. I'm Josh Pacheco. Uh, thanks to Jonathan Von Tobel for joining us a little while ago. We'll have U.S. Open updates throughout the uh, the rest of the day today. Uh, Kai Lenny is going to be a guest with Kanoa Leahy this afternoon uh, in the noon hour uh, this noon. And uh, uh, this afternoon... Looking back at the uh, Golden State Warriors Championship, Larry Beal is going to join uh, Gary Dickman today on the Sports Animals. Uh, Bobby Kern is going to join uh, Gary today. So uh, good stuff over the course of the rest of the day right here on ESP on Honolulu. Final thought today, um, you know, on a, on a day where, of course, we we celebrate championships. and um, But it's also a day where um, we celebrate a, a really good career. And it's almost ironic. Steph Curry wins a another title, but his former coach retires, and uh, and that's uh, Bob McKillop, who coached at Davidson for 33 years, the most successful coach in program history, and you know had some pretty memorable NCAA tournament wins, and did happen. It did coach McKillop, uh, did happen to coach a pretty phenomenal player 
named Stephen Curry. Uh, Curry saying on Twitter, love you, coach. Thank you for everything you've done for me, my family, Davidson, and uh, every person you've impacted along the way. Um, we at times have thought a lot about coaches that have gotten kind of that, you know, that, that run of remembrance as a great coach. I mean, we just went through the past year of, you know, Mike Krzyzewski's uh, farewell run uh, going through the NCAA tournament, uh, going through the course of the regular season. But you can't argue Bob McKillop, yeah, maybe he didn't coach a Duke. Maybe he didn't coach a Blue Blood. But he coached a program, one of those mid-major programs that produced one of the great mid-major players to make it to the NBA and brought success to NCAA tournaments, maybe not championship success, but uh, brought you memorable moments when playing in an NCAA tournament. And heck, coaching a Division One program for 33 years uh, is is also worth remembering in, uh, in a time where coaching does create a lot of turnaround because of the money that you can just throw at coaches left and right and not only the money you can throw at the coaches, but also the expectations that are put on these coaches as well. That uh, you can spend some time there for 33 years. Heck, uh, that deserves to be celebrated. Unfortunately for Bob McKillop, he doesn't get the the parade run of the uh, the honorary year, uh, but he does get to do it the day after one of his best players he's ever coached gets a title, and uh, that's pretty cool to see. Great work by our entire team, including studio operator Tanner Hayworth. Uh, I'll see you here on Monday. Bobby, by the way, will be back next Wednesday, for those of you that are wondering. So I'm looking forward to him being back in this seat. But On Point with Artie Wilson is coming up next. This has been the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu.